welcome to the Hindu's Parley podcast. I am Jacob Koshi, your host for the week. Since October, India has translocated 8 African cheetah from Namibia and 12 from South Africa as part of a long-term conservation plan to reintroduce the cheetah into India after it was hunted out of extinction in the 1950s. The aim is to build a self-sustaining population centered at Madhya Pradesh's Kuno National Park that will also contribute to the global survival of the species. However, there is a lot of debate among wildlife experts on whether the cheetah can actually thrive in India and whether it can help India's grasslands. Dr. Rajesh Gopal, a former forest officer and closely involved with Project Tiger and now head of the Global Tiger Forum, and Dr. Ravi Chalam, former member of an expert committee to guide the translocation of the Asiatic Lion and CEO Metastring Foundation discuss the pros and cons of the translocation exercise. So I'll start with you uh, Dr. Gopal. So this is basically uh, we are talking about, you know, the general cheetah, you know, there's a lot of news in the media etc. So first of all, I just wanted to get your thoughts on, you know, the government is saying that the first batch of cheetah from Namibia, you know, it is seemingly adapted quite it is adapting to Indian conditions and it is exhibiting behavior such as territoriality etc so first of all from a scientific perspective how long does it t- take to establish if a translocation is a success and you know do we have comparable examples from elsewhere so just begin with you on that yeah yeah uh, let me clarify i'm not a scientist like dr ravi chellam though or you can categorize me as scientist of sorts something <laughs> so but i did my some kind of a doctorate of course it took me 5 years in those days anyway leave it so the question you ask is how long it will take it depends from species to species for example dr chellam is an expert in this lions usually 78 months they do establish a home range and the leopards also likewise they it goes in months only but in the case of tiger uh, my personal experience when we did that in sariska for two and a half to three years it took you know it was exploring and one tiger walked all the way along the ravines it was a tough time in panna uh, so it went close to dam here cheetah is going to be a little bit difficult uh, it won't we can't uh, i mean speculate that it will happen three months or four months first of all uh, the terrain is totally different you know cheetahs if you um, i mean i am not expert in handling cheetahs or i am seen them in zoos only but whatever little i know i can say they are coursers they are not stalkers like your tiger or leopard and they need to run and the kind of terrain you need even immediately after release also they'll start running and you need that kind of a congregation of gregarious ungulates the ones which they prey on and the vast terrain is required you know because they 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 need their site and they align themselves with that mark which they marking there so it will take lot of time to cut the long story short so we will gain insights after we observe them they may bring down they already they are bringing down one or two prey within the enclosure but once you release what how they respond to the anti predator strategies of animals prey animals that becomes very important and then you have co-occurrence of a stalker two to stalkers so they need to um, divide their uh, separation in space and time all these complications are there it's good they brought and all that and uh, i'm glad but 
it will take time you also concur with this assessment or i mean is i mean what we have seen so far will it always follow a positive curve i mean does it happen that you know yes it started hunting some small animals yes it's scratching uh, trees etc establishing territoriality so after this usually is there always linear progress or how does it work so with ecology nothing is linear and nothing uh, necessarily conforms to the kind of human calendar of 12 months so let's leave the linear bit out but let's look at the metrics that we want to use first thing of course is survival animals have to survive but a better indication of success is when not only do they survive but they start reproducing and you have a self sustaining population now what does the action plan say it in this it says not only will we introduce 10 20 animals to begin with there will be annual more or less annual influx and from news reports we now know roughly 20 cheetahs are going to be introduced every year 20 more are going to be introduced every year for the next 8 to 10 years that is what the mous with uh, namibia and uh, south africa are indicating and the action plan states that in 15 years the project will be a success if kuno reaches an established population of 21 adults so let's take the lower estimate in 8 years we will introduce about 160 cheetahs and followed by about 7 8 years you would expect a settled population of 21 that's the metric that the action plan mentions then it says that if the larger habitat which is larger than the 748 square kilometers set in about 3 4 5000 square kilometers is also reasonably protected in 30 40 years this will reach a maximum of 36 so those are the numbers that are provided those are the timelines that are provided so we really have to understand that this is a real long term investment quite a lot of animals are going to come regularly from africa and the results are in the region of between 21 in 15 years to 36 in 30 40 years so that's that's the predicted best case scenario in the action plan so only 30 it's it was going to take you at least 30 years to say that yes the translocation has been a success or failure or whatever well it depends on what you want to call success now if uh, is there a numeric number is it the survival is it the rate of reproduction it depends on what you want to define success as okay next question uh, dr gopal acha jeek before you ask i just add to what dr chellam said in the doc it's also written indicator of success as if i remember correctly uh, 70% of adults Uh, are there and 25 to 40% uh, cubs are also around then this they'll consider that as a, some kind of a success so in anyway, but lot of even what's are there please go ahead but this is again then it will take at least two or three decades i guess yeah 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 like what he said of course of course yeah. so then uh, so moving on to the next uh, next question is you know the environment minister has said that you know the cheetah introduction program is is has a larger goal of reestablishing ecological function in indian grasslands that was lost due to the extinction of the asiatic cheetah now 
they she, he says it's in conformity with IUCN guidelines, etc. on conservation, translocation. So restoring grasslands is a major factor behind why the government claims or says it has, uh, you know, gone ahead with this cheetah pro- process. So I wanted to understand, I mean, and the government also calls it reintroducing and not introducing. So they are saying, is so Dr. Gopal, I wanted to understand, do you think this is the optimal way to conserve India's grasslands? Uh, maybe yes, because, you know, we are not competing destinations for very vast savannas or something, you know, what you find elsewhere in those countries from where cheetahs are coming. But we have six or seven of them. And uh, we do have climatic climax, adaptive climax at places. And most of them are bioadaptive because of the human uh, interference. Cheetahs, of course, uh, are good celebrities. Uh, surrogates, uh, surrogates. They are surrogate species. The viability of cheetah population, they are a dweller of because they are coarsers, uh, largely. Woodland, they do uh, stay in woodlands, but largely they prefer running around. That's what the study says elsewhere, uh, peer reviewed studies. So they indicate the uh, overall uh, wellness of uh, open areas, meadows, and grasslands. Because if they are okay, those uh, all those ungulates and other uh, their co uh, other ones, prey animals which cook, uh, they they are okay. So that is it. So what is stated is okay, uh, correct, because uh, that is a surrogate indicator of the well-being. So Ravi, uh, do you think this is the best way to conserve or I don't know replenish India's grasslands? Well, I like to respectfully disagree. Uh, my position on this, it's a resounding no. Because if you're really serious about saving and restoring these open natural ecosystems, including grasslands, we should begin by asking, what are the problems? What are the factors that have led to the degradation and decline of such habitats? What do we need to first curtail these threats? And what symbolizes best these kind of habitats. Now, it is all known very well that the great Indian bustard, the Indian wolf, the black buck, which are all native species in Schedule 1, very critically endangered species, especially the great Indian bustard, all have declining populations and declining distribution rates. And cheetahs, we just discussed in the previous answer to the previous question, are going to take 15, 20, 30, 40 years to even reach populations of 20 to 30 to 40 animals. How are these animals going to save these grasslands across India? And let's not forget there's a diversity of grasslands. Wet grasslands, tall grasslands, mountain grasslands, dry grasslands. Cheetahs don't exist in that diversity of grasslands. So if you're serious about grasslands, we need to take real action directed at grasslands. For instance, Wasteland Atlas of India still categorizes large stretches of open natural ecosystems as wastelands. It doesn't require a cheetah to come from Africa to change that categorization. Renewable energy projects are granted large tracts of open natural ecosystems, including grasslands, to establish solar panels and so on. Cheetahs are not going to change that. And agriculture is still expanding into these kind of habitats. Unless we address these kind of situations, the solution for grasslands and open natural ecosystems is not going to come. Such habitats are severely underprotected. Less than 10% of them in our current protected area network. 
so that means there is a good chance that the grasslands could actually decrease i mean i mean if it is you know if there is a bifurcation between allotting land for renewable purpose uh, renewable renewable energy projects or i don't know general agriculture land classification changes there is a good chance that grasslands would actually decrease so then that's bad for the cheetah per se right uh, ravi not just for the cheetah i'm talking of a whole diversity of plants and uh, animals that are already there and that is happening as we speak that is happening as we speak and these kind of timelines that we project for cheetah are too long there would be very little to save at the end of the day if we don't act now have there been instances in in your know, in ecological or wildlife history where as the introduction of a species has actually beneficially contributed to a, the development of a larger ecosystem i mean i can uh, i can start with uh, uh, dr gopal first and then ravi you can also come in later yeah yeah jacob sir uh, i'll just add one line to what my dear friend has said uh, with your permission yes this is, these surrogates indicators will only work if those stressors are addressed so what he has stated we have we have we are you know there are the to see wis envis this thing they have listed almost 42 species some of them very prominent ungulates uh, you know they are in trouble because of the shrinkage regression of grasslands and uh, so those stressors as he has correctly pointed out i mean in unison you need a holistic approach landscape approach you address them and then use these indicators of course goes without saying if you are you need to address them if you are aiming at the well being of cheetah and sustainable population in the coming years okay let's go to your question now yeah no I, like have there been instances in wildlife ecology anywhere india or other yeah, countries tiger is a case in point tiger is a case in point where else we need to go so it started with 9 uh, and now we are 53 reserves 2.3% of country geographical area is there the status of these areas which were erstwhile destinations for game hunting and all that of course they had they were well known for their faunal abundance those eight or nine of them but the surrounds were horrible i mean uh, you you lost everything and no uh, consideration nobody knew about all these insights on the source and sink dynamics and that these all were generated by scientists later subsequently and other people based on observations so uh, the concept of exclusive how an exclusive umbrella species investment is going to bring in a equally aggressive compelling inclusive uh, engagement with people and areas beyond Uh, so that you look beyond and save the entire gamut that kind of a vision emerged from the tiger experience so i'm sure uh, when when there's everyone is serious about cheetah they'll uh, go have a wish list from scientists what all things need to be addressed which stresses are natural which are man made and they'll look into all yeah uh, ravi what are your thoughts on this oh there are good examples and the one that comes to mind is uh, for instance uh, there was reintroduction of wolves in the yellowstone ecosystem and also the beavers and uh, so there are several such uh, examples but that is based on solid science unfortunately i am unable to really uh, certify that our current cheetah action plan is based on uh, good science oh, okay could you just elaborate on that i mean why do you think it's not based on 
good signs? Well, uh, simple things. The numbers just don't add up. I mean, average home range size for uh, cheetahs in the best of habitats in East Africa is 750 square kilometers. They they are the weakest of the large cats. So they exist in low densities of less than one per hundred square kilometers. So let's be generous and say 750 can host anything between eight to 10 cheetahs, but eight to 10 cheetahs do not make a viable population. Even the best case scenario estimate is 21 cheetahs, which doesn't make a viable population. They talk of metastring, I mean, uh, metapopulation management and things like that, but all given India's conservation approach, the challenges that we face, the level of human population presence that we have to engage with and deal with, I think uh, we are shooting far beyond what is feasible. Dr. Gopal, I just wanted to, uh, because, you know, you've been involved with tigers for, you know, so, so many years. I wonder, I mean, historically also, or at, at some point, when Project Tiger was being introduced or people, you know, when it was taken upon seriously, were there similar reservations expressed about tigers in the sense that, you know, oh, will we have uh, enough, uh, will, will we have enough land, etc. to you know, to ensure that the population grows viably. Has there been, was was there pessimism expressed in the past? I mean, uh, whether when you were there, there or people before you, on whether Project Tiger could be a success or was there never really any doubt that it would be a success, so to say? No, no, there, there was pessimism, not exactly based on science, but on the human wildlife interface. So uh, the uh, livestock depredation and the thing, then these were uh, not being addressed in those bygone, in that bygone era. So that kind of a kind of animosity was certainly there that you are bringing in this again, and we are going to lose this, lose that. That issue was there. And there were what Dr. Chellam has flagged: it's you need a big area, uh, you know, the the kind of home range they operate and they form coalitions. So. Uh, the science, which is uh, the report, also speaks about articulates about a landscape approach. Now, the Namibia, which is uh, known as the cheetah capital globally, now they also have problems. Like uh, they and problems will be there plenty managerial problems. So managerial sign uh, handholding is called for at this juncture. Uh, a vision. The you need a landscape approach because not only that Shivpur district parts, even going to the other state of Madhapur, you need to, uh, something like 5,000 square kilometer of cheetah landscape. Definitely, in those years to come, and you are aiming at a sustainable one, they're going to co-occur in farmlands. That's exactly what uh, in Namibia also. Then you need the stewardship of the community. So, so the densities and the territoriality, what you see, uh, what is prevailing in the tiger areas, in the context of tiger, or leopard for the tech, for example, the demography and the area requirement and the social dynamics are little different uh, in the context of cheetah. So you need large space for these coalitions to run around and be viable. But land is the most uh, scarce source in India. So, and given all the conflicts over land, I, how do you think this landscape management will actually happen? Co-occurrence, so, you know, all the area can't be thought of as being restored to the cheetah area. They they need to declare the whole area through an executive order from the both the sovereign state governments as part of the cheetah landscape. 
they need to give legitimacy since so much of has gone into this there should be ownership and there should be line departments like what come out with a format like what they have done for eco sensitive zone uh, listing out the line departments of the government the land use pattern this that some some kind of safeguards and it won't come for free no one is going to engage with you if there is not a quid pro quo so you need to uh, envision the landscape and also envision simultaneously the gainful the gains which those guys the business houses or whoever the tourist people or the local people in particular they're going to get so you had mentioned tourism and that brings me to my next question it is see the i mean the government has talked about you know conservation grasslands etc but one of the other things that it does stress upon is that over long time it plans to introduce eco tourism initiatives as part of its long term plans now on one hand i can see there is there is some positivity in terms of you know providing alternate livelihoods to local populations in that region i mean extra jobs etc that's that's all well and good but can eco tourism and conservation go hand in hand just wanted to you know from your experience on lion tigers i have i mean uh, some reservations about tourism i'm not a great fan of tourism though i've been i mean faced the supreme court several times you know sometimes people overdo it the carrying capacity uh, what has been uh, prescribed in a site or on a site specific basis for tourist visitation due to over enthusiasm and due to other uh, reasons perhaps uh that's overdone and becomes a mess and um uh, you know it's good tourism if, if it is host community driven as totally like what they practice in periyar if that happens so far so good a subdued thing we are not competing destinations for mass tourism like someone going and visiting taj you know, that, that that happens that degenerates to that so tourism is a good thinking Um, but uh, eco tourism and one should be very specific careful about the kind of infrastructure which will crop up all around so uh, and they, these guidelines in the context of tiger are available when the honorable uh, supreme court stopped tourism tiger tourism because people overdid it so uh, my own colleagues overdid it so uh, uh, i am i mean it's good i am not rubbishing tourism let it happen the way it should happen but oh, there are chances of overdoing it which may not bring good to cheetah now in the popular imagination you know there is this fantasy that is now being created that where people will see the cheetah running at 100 kilometers per hour and you know that now do you and and lot of at some because of the you know the kind of you know public uh, hype that has been created around it the eventually there is hope that you know people will be going to kuno and you know they will be expecting this i mean do you think those visions will actually come about i mean is that or it may take time it should take time they should not rush through it i agree with you seeing a tiger is reading 100 books you start giving them lectures the kind of interpretation one gains you know by looking at a tiger in the wild that effect is mesmerizing the totally different you garner more support and um, ownership for the whole thing so definitely the people should see them it's uh, those animals in the wild but uh, now we need to wait because let them stabilize as you correctly asked then this can be thought 
Ravi, can ecotourism and conservation go hand in hand in the context of cheetahs? You have to make it happen. You can't function in vacuum. But as Dr. Rajesh Gopal has already clearly said, there are challenges and we see it. I mean, you go to any tiger reserve, national park, while at the more popular ones, you see that playing itself out. And it's not just restricted to tourists getting into the wildlife area. It is the facilities and the infrastructure that we develop and who we bring, what employment is given to whom, why are local communities thrown out, excluded. There are a whole host of social and other issues also that we need to deal with. But getting back to cheetahs, I mean, there have been announcements that cheetah safari would start in February and we are in the 1st of March today. So, I completely agree with Dr. Rajesh Gopal. Now was not the time to be talking about tourism in the context of cheetahs. If the cheetah project is really about conservation, let's get our conservation act together first. And the action plan timelines are 15, 20, 30, 40 years. We will just have to wait. But do you think the the population in Kuno, you know, a lot of local, their land would probably be lost to grasslands, etc. Conservation, as you both have been saying, is, is an expensive proposition in terms of, you know, land and this thing. And, and now if the people over there are going to see that, okay, there are these animals that have come, it's not benefiting us. I mean, correct me if I am wrong, but the lion and tiger have, I mean, they are part of our local place, uh, local cultural beliefs and folklore. Conservation is inbuilt in many of the uh, in many of their local beliefs and practices, right? I'm not sure. Does cheetah feature in the folklore traditions of, uh, you know, of communities where they're inclined to, you know, take care of them, like bishnois of and uh, and deer, etc. So, do you think that you know, if you know, if this ecotourism angle is, I mean, which the government wants, if that does not fructify well, can it lead to resentment from local people? Uh, Ravi, can you just begin with that? Rajesh, you can have your using that too. Obviously, people want some benefits. And independent of the cheetahs, India is a welfare state. And it does have to look after its citizens. So I wouldn't necessarily tag the cheetah into this conversation. I think it's the state's responsibility to look after its citizens. In the specific context of Kuno, people have moved initially for the lions. And now at least one more uh, village has been uh, relocated or partially relocated for the cheetahs. And they are talking of the larger landscape of 160 odd more villages to be uh, moved or, or modified. Or, so if you're talking at that scale, people will ask questions. Why? People will rightfully ask questions because we are interfering, disrupting their lives. And as a welfare state, it is our constitutional responsibility to better the lives of the people. With taking them, it has to be, all these decisions have to be consultative, participatory. Dr. Kopal, you want to weigh in on that? Yeah, yeah I concur with what Dr. Chellam has said. I mean, there is no doubt, you know, cheetah also as the question you asked, whether they are ingrained in the ethos and not. General, I mean, in Madhya Pradesh, uh, the cadre uh, to which I belonged earlier when I was in service, that uh, the cheetah used to be loosely used and confused with uh, uh, leopards. You find them on matchbox, cheetah, and Tamil Nadu also 
cheetah with puli they will put a cheetah thing with dots and uh, of course the, that marking was not there but uh, common perception cheetah leopard they synonymously there was a confusion and that confusion prevails but nobody is going to cuddle with them or the, some people use the word coexistence that is something i i pity the, the people who are using people have written books about coexistence romanticizing in all kinds of things will never happen now in the present juncture um, at this juncture rather it will never happen one cannot envision a co-occurrence or coexistence co-occurrences one has to envision but at a great cost it's going to come so when you talk of cheetah you need to envision a landscape then as he said lot of people all around it's okay you have put them in a small place to start with when they grow the foster you are going to foster you have taken the decision for 30 years so me this is going to come then so much so much of uh, male and reproductive success blah blah so many things okay fine all good but in the area you can't make everything a pa so there will be a lot of resentment because livelihood is a great issue land is a great commodity the irrigation is not there only one rain fed crop they take so all these things have to be factored in they need to get gains uh, yeah and stewardship Oh, and even in Namibia, they have the stewardship. Most of them spend their diurnal thing in the along the uh, field, you know, crops and all that, and they pay. Some of them get killed. So the so and the revenge killings are also there. It's not uncommon. So lot of things we need to be uh, careful. Mm, so uh, that kind of a overwhelming sweeping ownership, it will never come. Even for tiger, it will never. Come. so they it's going never a dull moment you have to engage engage and engage one day to do something and all your engagement will go to and there will be this concerns about poaching also will emerge with cheetah yeah 150% <laughs> that area is full of mugias rantambor me and the, you know there are tribes marksmen who these maharajas you brought earlier uh, i'm not naming any maharaja they are so a lot of people were brought in they are excellent marksmen they wiped off everything whatever prevailed there even now they are there in in kuno in particular i had a meeting i called a meeting of all these mongias and tried them uh, as uh, supported the local authorities in like what they did in periyar successfully but there was literacy there here it is different you know the culture is different so it was it's not going to be easy so how shall we pamper them they'll come a time when they they'll do something so you need to engage with them and that they are already doing but it's no it's, you shouldn't stop it at some point in time it will get poached revenge killings will be there so the security planning for the kuno beyond the kuno looking beyond part a part b both needs to be there and linked to livelihood gains So Ravi, next question. I wanted to begin with you because this is something that you have actually worked on for a long time, and you have written about it. This is regarding the question of the lions. You know, do, do you think that? I mean, the Kuno Park was intended, essentially, was invented for in, intended for the lions, and the lions are an expanding population. So, do you think this whole cheetah project has it endangered the future health of our lion populations, or do you think? Do you, uh, do you think it's plausible as the government says that you know all three cats over time can coexist uh, in i don't know relative harmony see there is ecological principle and there is a more important fundamental issue we need to look at which is rule of law if 
15th April, the Supreme Court orders and says land should be translocated within six months in letter and spirit. That ended on 14th of October 2013. We are now getting to be 10 years and the lines haven't moved. So if we want to be a world player, if our ability to confirm to rule of law on such issues is disregarded with impunity, I can't find a more diplomatic word to uh, state it. I fear that we are on a very slippery slope as a society as a whole. Leave conservation to one corner. Because rule of law permeates all walks of life, both internally as well as externally. There are rules that are international, bilateral, multilateral, the national, statewide, local. And you can't say I will observe some rules, but I will not observe others. So to me, this is fundamentally a rule of law issue which Indian society needs to reflect on. What is the value of a Supreme Court judgment if it can be disregarded? And this is not the only one. For the Great Indian Bustard, they said, bury power lines. And the government goes to court after a year and says, we don't have the money to do that. Where did the money come to get African cheetahs from? What is the priority? A resident bird population, which the global population is less than 150, and one of the main causes of mortality are overhead power lines. There is a standing order that the Supreme Court, and we are not acting on it. Mm. So, but let's okay. But what about from pure wildlife and conservation angle? I mean, is it possible for these two big cats to coexist? They have coexisted before. Probably in India, there were areas where in the larger landscape, when I say larger landscape, few hundreds to maybe a few thousand square kilometers. You would have had overlapping distribution of lions, tigers, leopards, cheetahs. It depends on the local uh, habitat. The more open, flatter habitats would have had lions and cheetahs. The more denser, wetter habitats would have had leopards and tigers. So, and in Africa, even today, you have lions, leopards, uh, cheetahs coexisting. So, ecologically, there is not an issue. But from a conservation perspective, all your eggs are in one basket with the gear lions. We kept in denial saying, oh, diseases won't affect Indian lions. And then you had the 2018 episode where we lost several dozen lions. We are continuing to lose lions, but we will not take the only step that will really ensure and uh, mitigate extinction chances, which is to establish second, third, maybe multiple free-ranging populations of wild Asiatic lions. And that will get delayed because in the cheetah action plan, it stays after the cheetah population establishes itself, which is at least 15 years, then we can consider while the Supreme Court order in 2013 said within six months. I mean, what are the current trends on the lion population? I mean, I know they are expanding and they are venturing out of, you know, the, you know, the gear landscape. So in 15 years... What, what if organically the, I mean, I don't know, how, how do you see that playing out? Will it, is it possible that they will naturally extend into the larger Kuno uh, area or can it only be artificially done? Will we see a lot of conflicts or will, do you see declines in population from uh, disease, you know, from spread of diseases and, you know, inbredness, etc.? Inbreeding is not an issue that translocation will necessarily address, but Definitely putting geographical separation 
means not just disease. It could be a forest fire. It could be a cyclone. It could be any natural catastrophe. It could even be a bad political decision. So by, by, by separating, you are increasing the conservation prospects for the species. Currently, the estimate is 50% of the lion population, which is estimated about 700, 350 are permanently resident outside the protected area. And about 350 are resident within the protected area. Outside the protected area, dealing with roads, harbors, ports, godowns, agricultural fields, dead cattle, live cattle. You know, that's the habitat in which they are, which means transmission of disease is, is a real ongoing daily affair. So you, you really, by delaying it by another 15 years, we are tempting fate. Dr. Gopal, do you also agree with that? I mean, do you feel that our lion populations are being, you know, are getting, are being slightly handicapped because of the preference for the cheetah? See, uh, Kuno is not the only uh, destination. There are other places where this can be thought of. As I said, uh, you need geographical isolation, separation to ensure reproductive isolation because the uh, phenotype reflects in the genotype. So, they all came out from the Junagadh Nawab stock. So, issues of one distemper can wipe off the whole thing. As I said, all eggs in one basket. Now, it's anything can happen. So, uh, environmental stochastic events or man-made events, whatever. So, always, if not you know, within Gujarat, far away so that it's beyond the cruising distance, that they are trying perhaps. Um, but uh, Kuno is not the only destination. They need to work on some other sites. If there are issues uh, bringing them to other state within the state itself, uh, um, they can explore. But I can't go beyond that. <laughs> because of, I mean, the fact of the matter is that, you know, there is reluctance to actually, you know, to expand out of Gujarat. Yeah, and some reluctance, but uh, ecologically, uh, we need an alternate, uh, this thing. Yeah. And if Kuno was prepared specifically for this, and if Kuno itself is being, so we can't be sure that, you know, any other alternate land, park, state or something will actually be used for this. There are six or seven of them, but preference was given to Kuno. So, so I want, you have to redo the homework again. Then uh, work on those sites, do the PHV, sort of so we are nearly 40 minutes down and, and, you know, I think I've come to, out to the last question and I can have both of you on it. So Dr. Gopal, you can, I'll ask you first, you know. So when the Supreme Court permitted this cheetah introduction, reintroduction, it specifically said that this was on an experimental basis, that, that point. So experiment technically means it can go either ways. So that's okay. But hypothetically, let's say, you know, after a few decades or some time, we realize, I mean, it turns out that, you know, the cheetah just does not survive as an independent population like the lion and tiger over here. Do you think there can be, there will be any long-term detrimental ecological consequences that we cannot undo now? On the other hand, what if too well, yes, that we speculated on a bit. If it thrives too well, do you foresee man-animal conflicts? And that, of course, we have, you touched upon it, but we could dwell on the previous question that I asked about. Can there be detrimental long-term ecological consequences if the experiment fails? See, it's uh, our ecosystems uh, are subsidized. In the sense, uh, distortions are already there in areas which are burdened with rights and concessions and which have 
extend biodiversity extending beyond the portals of your reserved forests or protected forests. So, detrimental thing I mean, may not be discernible. They'll uh, cease to give their indicator function or cease to be indicators because they themselves are uh, out from the scene. So, the, the story ends there. But uh, uh, a few years, few, I think many decades ago, Chandraprabha area saw the lines, African lines coming and and the story, I mean, it went away and got poached and all that. There are numerous such instances, but there are success stories also. Uh, tiger is getting translated and then rhinos. People have forgotten the Dudwa rhinos. They came from Kaziranga when we were probationers in those days. So, there are success stories and, they, um, and as rightfully said, it's an experiment. It needs to be an experiment and, and you do that, yes or no, it can happen. So, uh, and Ravi, what do you think? Do you think there can be long-term consequence or it will just be an interesting chapter in the history of Indian wildlife conservation? Well, there are two issues here. One is ecological consequences. Other is conservation consequences. I think you need to view these separately. From an ecological perspective, fingers crossed, hopefully there is no disease transmission with the release of these African cheetahs. And if that is completely ensured, then that's one big worry of our list. The second is how we manage the habitat and landscape to favor cheetah. If there is large-scale manipulation of habitats to favor cheetah and the cheetah project fails within courts, then you have damaged the ecosystem because a lot of the manipulation is clearing the forest to make it more suitable for cheetah. So that could be a potential ecological impact. But to me, the bigger issue is really about conservation. 30, 40 years, when we decide whether it has succeeded or not, the cheetah introduction, would the Great Indian Bustard still be around? Would open natural ecosystems and grasslands, have they? would they retain their quality, would they have expanded in size or would they have contracted in size or would they have degraded in quality? What will happen to wolf population? What will happen to black buck population? From a conservation lens, those are questions that cannot wait. What will happen to the line translocation? And uh, just a slight correction, the Chandrababa population was actually two females and a male going from Gir, not African lines. The African lines were actually introduced in Kuma. Uh, by the Maharaja of uh, Gwalior. So those to me are far more germane, important, especially because these are mentioned in the National Wildlife Action Plan. The current National Wildlife Action Plan has the lion, has the Great Indian Bustard as priority species for translocation and establishing alternate population. It doesn't mention the cheetah at all. So, you know, there, there is a lot of contradictions out there. So great. Thanks a lot. You know, and I think we have covered a very interesting you know, large established round. Thanks a lot, Ravi and Dr. Gopal for taking time out and, you know, talking Thank to us. Thank you. It was a pleasure interacting with Dr. Chandran and you. Thank you. Thank you, Jacob, too.